0: Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett.
1: What Jeremiah was prophesying would come one day was the new covenant established by Jesus where on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago he would take our sin and he would
0: bear it. If you suffer chronic pain you know what it is to hope for something better, to hope for a cure. There is something that causes no end of pain and it's almost worse than a physical ache and that's guilt. Fortunately, God has a plan for that. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 30 to discover incurable pain will be healed.
1: We're in Jeremiah chapter 30, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 17. This is incurable pain will be healed. And we're now in the phase where he's beginning to prepare the ground for what we would call the, the announcement of the New Covenant. So this is Jeremiah's covenant. He's announcing the New Covenant and he's introducing elements of the New Covenant. And of course, the first section of his ministry was was essentially declaring God's judgment on them. He revealed to Israel, to Judah, Jerusalem, why God was about to judge them, why they were about to experience the, the more or less abandonment judgment of God. And that, that of course, stems from three main categories of, of treason that the people had committed. Firstly, the people had committed willful ignorance of God's word. They were guilty of idolatry. They were worshipping not just idols that they had made, but they were worshipping objects in nature, the sun, the moon. Uh, known as Moloch and Ashtate. and th- these gods, these pagan gods were uh, were demanding supposedly certain sacrifices and, and 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 most grotesquely the people were sacrificing their unborn or sorry their their young infants to the these gods in in the furnace in the valley of Hinnom just outside the walls of Jerusalem, just down from the temple, throw their children into the furnace, and this was an offering to the god Moloch, supposedly to prosper them. We we understand that Jeremiah's now he he's already spent that first section condemning them for that, for their willful ignorance of the word, their their treacherous idolatry and also for their immorality the the people it and it's a it's a natural progression when you ignore the word of God when you claim that God is actually endorsing your rebellious lifestyle where you're calling black white where you're calling wrong right you're able to then justify some of the most heinous sin some of the most vile sin this is what Israel Judah had been doing and so they were living lives of rampant idolatry, but also this led inevitably, as we see it even in our own day, it leads inevitably to a lifestyle of sexual immorality. At one point, Jeremiah calls the city of Jerusalem Sodom, and it conjures up all kinds of imagery of what the city must have been like when they had abandoned all restraint sexually, and Jeremiah lays this charge against them, that they were sexually immoral. Now, it, it's not too hard a stretch to see just how incredibly relevant the prophecies of Jeremiah are for today. And particularly now, as we come into this section where Jeremiah is beginning to introduce the benefits of the new covenant, the results of the new covenant, what would happen and what what would happen for those that were able to remain faithful and for those generations who much after this time would be reading the prophet jeremiah they would read of a coming new covenant a time when god would write his law on the hearts of his people not just on tablets of stone where people would no longer be cajoled and and forced to worship but now there would be a willingness to worship where god would heal their hurts where god would come and restore them and prosper them and bless them and they would take great delight in him sin brings with it pain and this section is called incurable pain will be healed that's the text here incurable pain will be healed we're reading from jeremiah chapter 30 verse 8 And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. Verse nine, but they shall serve the Lord, their God and David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. This is an interesting point that some people would use a verse like this to justify a vague Reference to perhaps the Bible endorsing reincarnation, but we need to understand that when it says he'll God will raise up David as their king, it's the one who would reign in david's place it's it's the rightful heir of David, and Jesus Christ is that son, he is the rightful heir of david, he's the one who came to reign in the the lineage and the reign of David. He's often referred to as the son of David. We read through the four gospels and we we see repeatedly that people refer to him in this way. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So people understood that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of David. So the Bible does not endorse reincarnation. Far from it, actually. The, The Bible stands in contradistinction to the notion of reincarnation. Reincarnation in Eastern mysticism, unlike the way the West has dressed it up as a more or less a, a born again experience of sorts, a, a second chance at life, to the Easterner, reincarnation is a curse. Reincarnation says you failed in this life, you've got to go back around again. And the Bible does not teach reincarnation. In fact, not only does it not teach reincarnation as I said, it, it, it contradicts it. It actually makes the point in Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is destined that each person dies only once, after that comes judgment. That's from the New Living Translation. So the Bible makes it very plain. We live one life, we die one death, and then after that we await judgment. The notion of reincarnation is a completely ungodly and unbiblical concept now we see in this text that god has or god had ordained israel to birth the savior of the world that the savior would come from israel is israel's grand purpose was to be the vehicle by which god would redeem and save the world and of course the messiah would come from israel we read in verse 10 then fear not o jacob my servant declares the lord nor be dismayed o israel for behold i will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity jacob shall return and have quiet and ease and none shall make him afraid you see god was saving israel not just for their sake, not just for his own namesake, but for the salvation of the world, for the to, to make it possible for every person, irregardless of ethnicity, nationality, geography, level of education, or even religious background, to come to know him as Savior. Because through the the history of Israel, through Israel being able to, be restored once again to its land and here jeremiah has been prophesying for the previous 29 chapters or so that israel was about to forfeit its land it was about to be overrun they would be taken captive and exiled out of their land but here god is saying that's not the end of the story i'll come i'll restore you to your land and the purpose was that the savior would be given to the world. Of course, we can see here also that it's a type, a shadow, a picture of God's purpose for us, New Testament believers, New Covenant believers, those who claim to be followers of Christ. We don't just live for ourselves. It's not just the blessing of knowing God for ourselves, but we're we're saved. We've been redeemed by God so that we can also reveal the Savior to the world. People need to see Jesus in how we live, in how we go about life, in how we relate to each other, in our commitment to church. They they need to see that we take this seriously. And there's also this this idea that, that we become reflectors of God's glory. We're not the light. We're reflectors of the light. Just as God had called Israel to be a light to the world, he's called us, New Covenant followers of Christ, to also be reflectors as well jeremiah chapter 30 verse 11 for i am with you to save you declares the lord i will make a full end of all the nations among whom i scattered you but of you i will not make a full end i will discipline you in just measure and i will by no means leave you unpunished now this is uh, an interesting I think, challenge to us to get our heads around that God is not just a God who is there for us in the sense that he, he would never let any harm come to us. Because here we read that when we stray, when God's people, Israel strayed, God was sure to discipline them like a father, to even punish them. Now this is a radical concept for some people who cannot get their head around the idea that God is a a god of justice as well as a god of love and mercy. But it seemed to many in Israel that what Jeremiah was talking about was too severe Israel's punishment by God was too severe for them to ever recover and so what we're, we're going to see in this section is that far from the initial pushback that Jeremiah had on the fact that they were going to be judged and punished which eventually within just a few few short years the people of Israel did begin to see they, they began to see that the, the words of Jeremiah regarding their exile to Babylon were indeed true and and so true that they then doubted the second part of his prophecy that they would be restored that God would heal them that he would once again forgive them cleanse them and and reestablish them in the land where there was no promise that they would uh, be the the you know the the ruler of the world or any such thing but that from that position of restoration to the land the messiah would be born and that is indeed what happened but at the time that seemed impossible their punishment seemed too severe and i think in a similar way that again serves as a type and a shadow that when the bible the new covenant talks about everlasting fire everlasting judgment when we read in the new testament of a punishment of those people who willfully rebel against God and and those people who will be condemned for eternity. For, for some people, this is inconceivable. It's incomprehensible that, that a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness would also be a God of eternal justice. But that's the point. It's not... That for some people that they feel that that a life of sin maybe over ten twenty fifty sixty seventy eighty even ninety years is, is just it's unjust to punish a person who sins over that period for all of eternity. That just seems unjust unjust, but what that fails to recognize is it 's not the time taken to commit sin it's firstly the nature of the sin and secondly, who is sinned against. We, we have to remember that even in our own society, if someone takes a pistol and commits murder, that the time taken to do that might only be one or two seconds to actually carry out the act of murder. It would be ludicrous and it would be seen as the height of injustice if the judge was to then sentence that person to two or three seconds in prison the time taken to commit a crime a sin is not is not what determines the punishment it's firstly the depth of that crime and of course murder even in our own culture is seen as the the, the highest the most heinous or certainly among them of all the crimes that can be committed therefore it demands that the highest penalty that a society can impose and generally that's life in prison in some cultures it's actually capital punishment well in this sense when we sin we're sinning against god and every sin is not just a it's not just a slight offense every sin is saying we are god we are the ones who determine the rules we will not have god rule over us we will deify ourselves this is a a treacherous treasonous crime guilty that causes us to be guilty not just for the few seconds it takes to commit it but guilty and stained with that guilt for all eternity and justice demands an eternal retribution on those who would commit that kind of sin which by the way we all have and secondly it's it's who we're sinning against we we need to appreciate we're sinning against an eternal infinite all majestic being when we sin i i I trust this causes us to think twice before we willfully sin but I also hope it, it it causes us to recognize that when god's justice is announced as being eternal and everlasting he's not doing anything unfair in fact it's infinite fairness that he should do that and when it's when we understand that It makes his grace and his offer of forgiveness all the more sweet, all the more extraordinary. And this is what Jeremiah is announcing to the people. That the God who was judging them, punishing them, disciplining them, was also going to forgive, restore and heal them. And I think there's a a valuable lesson for that in that for us today. You see, God's healing of Israel is a type of his salvation for us today. There are many people who, who feel the ache, the, the, the utter emptiness of their life. They're looking for something. They don't exactly know what it is, but they know there's something missing. And to know that we stand guilty before God, there's a, there's a conscious awareness that we all carry that, we, that something's not right. And yet today, because of what Christ has done, he offers us peace, forgiveness and salvation. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. Verse 13, there is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. You see, there's a pain that's associated with guilt that hurts more than any physical ache. I think this was captured in a song written by some songwriters, uh, uh, Claire Cloninger and Wayne Watson, when they said, smile, make them think you're happy, lie and say things that are fine and hide that empty longing that you feel, don't ever show it. Just keep your heart concealed. Why are the days so lonely? I wonder where. Where can a heart go free? And who will dry the tears that no one sees? There must be someone to share your silent dreams. Caught like a leaf in the wind, Looking for a friend, Where can you turn? Whisper the words of a prayer, And you'll find him there. Arms open wide love in his eyes. Jesus, he meets you where you are. Jesus, he heals your secret scars. All the love you're longing for is Jesus, the friend of a wounded heart. Joy comes like the morning, hope deepens as you grow, and peace beyond the reaches of your soul comes blowing through. For love, has made you whole. Once like a leaf in the wind, looking for a friend, where could you turn? You spoke the words of a prayer, and you found him there, arms open wide, love in his eyes. Jesus, he meets you where you are, he heals your secret scars. All the love you're longing for is Jesus, the friend of a wounded heart. Jesus, He meets you where you are, Jesus. He heals your secret scars. And all the love you're longing for is Jesus. All the love you need. Oh, it's Jesus, the friend of a wounded heart. Friend of a wounded heart. And perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps you know the pain that comes not just from physical pain, but a pain that comes from a soul that's aching, the pain that comes from knowing that there's something not right. That, that that nagging thought that you're guilty and that there's no hope. And that in the next life, when you stand before God and give an account of your life, you'll have nothing, nothing with where you can justify what you've done. I've got great news for you. And as we continue to read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is announcing Uh, prophesying this coming news in verse 14 he says all your lovers have forgotten you they care nothing for you for i have dealt you the blow of an enemy the punishment of a merciless foe because your guilt is great because your sins are flagrant verse 15 why do you cry out over your hurt your pain is incurable because your guilt is is great because your sins are flagrant i've done these things to you verse 16 therefore all who devour you shall be devoured and all your foes every one of them shall go into captivity those who plunder you shall be plundered and all who prey on you i will make a prey verse 17 for i will restore health to you And your wounds I will heal, declare the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. see, Israel had thought that the things that they were doing would bring them prosperity, peace and fulfillment. Their worship of idols, their pursuit of sexual pleasure and immorality at the expense of God's explicit commands which by the way god's the author of sex (laughs) god's the designer of sex god's the designer of pleasure by the way and you can only truly know maximum pleasure and maximum gratification in life if you live by his prescription for your life and when you don't it's futile (laughs) futile means Empty a waste it nothing it comes to nothing, it's just a waste, and that's what sin does. it wastes us, and it wounds us and Here the prophet Jeremiah is telling the people that the things that they thought would bring them pleasure, the things they thought would bring them enjoyment and and great prosperity and satisfaction are the very things that are now causing their soul to be weighed down with guilt. And I guess if we were to take this and ask ourselves today, what are we currently being afflicted with? What is it that our souls are suffering from today? What futility is wounding your heart? C.H. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the church, he said this, Man is a double being. He's composed of body and soul and each of the portions of man may receive injury and hurt the wounds of the body are extremely painful and if they amount to taking uh, sorry if they amount to a breaking of the frame the torture is singularly exquisite yet god has in his mercy provided means whereby wounds may be healed and injuries repaired the soldier who retires from the battlefield knows that he shall find a hand to extricate the shot and certain ointments and liniments to heal his wounds. We very speedily care for bodily diseases. They are too painful to let us slumber in silence, and they soon urge us to seek a physician or a surgeon for our healing. Oh, if we were as much alive to the more serious wounds of our inner man, if we were as deeply sensible of spiritual injuries, how earnestly should we cry to the beloved physician, and how soon should we prove his power to save? Stabbed in the most vital part by the hand of our original parent, and from head to foot disabled by our own sin, we yet remain insensible as steel, careless and unmoved, because though our wounds are known, they are not felt. We should count that soldier foolish, who would be more anxious to repair a broken helmet than an injured limb. Are not we even more to be condemned when we give precedence to the perishing fabric of the body and neglect the immortal soul? You, however, who have broken hearts, can no longer be insensible. You have felt too acutely the slumber in indifference. Your bleeding spirit cries for consolation, May my glorious master give me a word in season for you. Charles Spurgeon understood that there's a pain that afflicts our soul. It's not obvious. Not everyone can tell it. It's it's not visible on the outside, but we can feel it. And here's the good news. What Jeremiah was prophesying would come one day was the new covenant. Established by Jesus, where on the cross nearly 2000 years ago, he would take our sin, our guilt, our shame, our brokenness, our heartache, all our pain. He would take it on the cross and he would bear it. But that's not the end of the story, because three days later, he rose again from the grave. He conquered it all. And he now offers us forgiveness, peace and Satisfaction and a delight in life that can only be found in him, one of his closest apostles, John, put it this way in first John one nine If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness first peter two twenty four speaks of the healing of the soul that comes from having your sins forgiven. he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed first peter 224 it was isaac watts that said when filled with grief overwhelmed with shame he pitying heals their broken frame he hears their sad complaints and spies his image in their eyes. If you want that healing, if you want to know the forgiveness of your sin, if you want your life to be a clean mirror that reflects God's love and grace and forgiveness to a hurting, dying world, would you join me in prayer? Oh God, heal me. Please forgive me. My life is not what it should be. I ask you to make something good of my life. Thank you that Jesus died for me to heal the wounds of my soul and to give me peace with God for eternity. Amen.
0: The pain of guilt needs healing, needs salvation, and Jesus Christ is just the man for the job. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Incurable Pain Will Be Healed, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters.